This is a Discovery Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we invite you to find yourself in the bigger story. To find out more about what's going on in the life of the church, head to discoverychurch.com.au. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to encourage you just to get out your phone and um, do the QR code and start doing the National Church Life Survey right now. Just dive straight in. Why not? Um, Probably be done at about the same time that we're wrapping up. So two birds, one stone, all that. Hey, um, that feeling of powerlessness that you sometimes experience. Where am I? That feeling of powerlessness. That feeling of inevitability. That feeling of being out of control. That feeling of having a lack of means or a lack of control. I know some this morning have actually experienced power loss to their house. So it might be that. It might be this moment where we, um, should I just keep saying one, two, three, one, two, three, just we should have done this sound check before. We're just all going to do a sound check together. I'm just going to keep talking for a minute and we'll get the sound right. <laughs> Try again. Keep going. Testing one, two. Hey, this is, um, this is what happens before church, guys. So this is like a sneak peek. This is what... Um, <laughs> You know, you didn't have to be here early for this today. Usually you have to be here early to get a sound check, but today you get to all experience it together as we, um, yeah, that's right. I think we're there. Welcome to everyone who's joining us today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. Um, It's great to be here together today. And that feeling of powerlessness that you experience, that I experience, when sometimes it happens in real life where you've run out of petrol, you've run out of fuel, you are in a situation that you cannot control. Have you been in a situation that you cannot control? There's a, um, a moment where you realize, I don't know what's going on here, and I think I'm lost. What do we do? We can feel overwhelmed by life, powerless against its whims. Or the other alternative is to get big, huff and puff, get really strong and powerful. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just use the other microphone. Can we just grab that one? That would be heaps better. Thanks. There's always these, um, these like actual object lessons that happen when you're preaching. And so why don't we just take that whole section as an example of what I was talking about. Let's do that. Um, we all reach places that, where we feel powerless against a situation that we can't control. And you have two options. You can either acquiesce to it and just let be overwhelmed Or a lot of us, what we do is we get big. We huff and puff and we get all strong and we assert our own way and we kind of go the other way and push. So what's better? To acquiesce to our weakness or to forcefully push our own strength. The title of today's message is this. What is power for? What is power for? 
It's a strange word and a strange thing to be talking about, even in church, isn't it? Because we get a little bit creeped out by the idea of power. It's not awesome, let's be honest. Some of us don't love it and some of us love it too much. See, the Christian story offers looks at both ends of the spectrum. We see the powerlessness of Ruth and we see the relentless power of Samson. We see the powerlessness of the disciples on a small boat in a storm. And we see the power of Peter wielding a sword, chopping off somebody's ear. We see experiences at both ends of the spectrum. And we're going to see in this passage, as we begin a new series on the church, as we lead up to Pentecost, that there is a church that are charged, just absolutely charged with power and mission. But how is it used? And what about the weakness that we experience every day? Oh, hey, Luke. I didn't see you standing there. This is Luke, everyone. He's he's here. Luke's going to lead us into this passage today. Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the entire New Testament. When Luke has written the Gospel of Luke... And the book of Acts, that makes up nearly a quarter of the entire New Testament from a non-Jew, someone who's a Gentile, not used, not, not uh, in the inheritance of all the old Jewish promises of the old story. He's a personal friend of Paul and traveled with Paul. So a lot of what he's written down is actual lived experience. And because he's a physician, he's a doctor, he brings all these really beautiful and quirky details into the story, especially when it comes to medical conditions, which I know some of you really love. Let's hear all the gruesome and gory details. He'll tell you what kind of skin condition, not just a skin condition generally. Oh, hey, Theophilus, I didn't see you standing there either. This is Theophilus, everyone. Here's here's the person who who Luke's writing to. This is Theophilus right here. Theophilus, his name means a lover of God or friend of God. And he's a Roman citizen. Now, commentators are a little bit divided as to whether Theophilus was one person or whether it was a name signifying a group of people, a group of friends of God or lovers of God. But what we have here at the end of the day is the book of Acts and Luke written by a non-Jew to another non-Jew, expressing the life of Jesus into a Gentile world, which is how you and I got here today. We're here because of our friend Luke, hello, and our friend Theophilus over here, hello. The two of these guys together have meant that we are celebrating Jesus right now. That's pretty cool. So we're going to read the first eight verses of part two of Luke, which is the the book of Acts, when he's writing to Theophilus, and let's see what he says. Acts chapter one, verse one to eight. So in the first book, O Theophilus, 
I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 day, during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria to the ends of the earth. Let's break this down. A little bit here. The first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is that Jesus is still at work. He says in the former book, you know, in my first edition, Theophilus, the Gospel of Luke, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So what he's saying is, I'm going to tell you now, Theophilus, in Acts, all the things that Jesus continued to do and teach. So the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, is really, even though we call it the Acts of the Apostles, is really the Acts of Jesus through the Holy Spirit and the church. It's really the Acts of God in and through the world. I told you in Luke all that Jesus began to do and teach, and now I'm going to tell you all that Jesus continued to do and teach. But wait a second, Jesus isn't here. Acts is all about the church. Yeah, that's right. Jesus continuing to do and to teach through his hands and feet, through the church. First thing to notice. Second thing that I want us to notice here is that passion here is not a soft word. He says says here that... uh, Verse 3, he pre- presented himself alive to them after his suffering. That word suffering, pashka in the Greek, is, is where we get our word passion from. Now, passion sounds like a beautiful word. I just want to find my passion. I'm so passionately in love. We just want to find our passion. Passion, though, is not a soft word. Where we get the word passion from actually is Jesus' word here, suffering. So as a side note, rather than finding something to do that you're passionate about, the question might be, what are you willing to suffer for? Because when you find out what you're willing to suffer for, then you've found your passion. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering. So in the context of this passage, the suffering of Jesus is right before us, as is the resurrection of Jesus. But what's important here is that he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. How did he do that? It says through many proofs he presented himself alive. 
Now, the commentators say that one of the ways that Jesus proved he was alive and not, say, a ghost or an apparition, because there was rumors going around, circulating around the early church, it wasn't really Jesus resurrected. It was merely an apparition. It was a ghost. It was an image. It wasn't the real thing. You know, a theophany, if you like, like a, like a projection on a wall almost, except that Jesus ate with his disciples. He ate with them for breakfast. He ate with them in the upper room. He ate with them many, many times. And the fact that he ate together with his disciples formed one indisputable proof that Jesus himself was alive. So we have our bread and our cup. And we're going to share communion together right now in this moment. <clears throat> Ready? We're going to rip together again. I'm going to wait for everyone to grab. If you don't have um, the elements with you, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, gee, jump in the gun, my friends. Wait, we're going to rip together. We're going to rip together. Ready? Three, two, one, go. There we go. <laughs> this is on a bell curve. There's always a few early adopters, then the bulk of people in the middle, and then a few late to the party ones at the end. We got close. Now, I know we have a little bit of fun with this because of the, because of the way that we're sharing the Lord's Supper at the moment. But the important thing here is that when we eat and drink, we're remembering the Lord's death until he comes again. And the fact that we eat and drink forms up, brings together one of the many great witnesses that we have to the world that Jesus is alive. So let's eat together. The bread, which reminds us, is a sign and a symbol of his broken body. He presented himself alive after his passion. And we take the cup and we drink together to remember his spilt blood on our behalf for our sins. Let's drink. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the bread and for the cup. And so Jesus presents himself alive after his passion by many proofs, including that he ate together with his disciples. But then he said to them, I want you to hurry up and wait. Here in Jerusalem. Wait for what? Wait for the promise of the Father. Hurry up and wait here in Jerusalem. 
Don't go anywhere. Don't run away. Stay right here in Jerusalem because there is a promise that is coming. He said, John, remember how John baptized you with water? Well, in a few days, not, not long from now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means dipped or immersed, literally drenched. So we have the baptism, which is a sign, a sign of being identified with Christ in his death and resurrection. But also there was coming a baptism of Holy Spirit, which would be not just a sign, but a strength. In not many days from now. So I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until that day. Which prompts a question from the disciples, are we there yet? Are we there yet? They say it like this. Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is it now that it's all going to come together? Are we there yet, Lord? Now, it seems that even though in verse 3, Jesus was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Some of the disciples still had on their minds not the kingdom of God, but just their own kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. The expectation is good. Is it now? But he's just told them to wait. But Jesus responds and said, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the way to the ends of the earth, you will receive power. You will receive power. You know that powerlessness that you feel when your microphone doesn't work? You know the powerlessness that you feel when you're out of petrol, you're out of gas, you're out of electricity, whatever it might be, and you want to either get strong and get really big and huff and puff, or you want to just allow it to collapse all over you and fall into a heap. Jesus says here, you will receive power, which gets us nervous and a little bit, uh, what does this mean? Because we know that powerful people can do bad things. So what is the power for? What is the power for? The first thing that the power is for, for the disciples is simply for them to tell of what they'd seen and heard. To tell of what they'd seen. Jesus says it this way, he says, to be my witnesses. 
This first meaning of this word witness was to give a um, testimony or to be able to give a statement in a court of law. You know what it is to be a witness. You were there. You saw it. You saw it happen. You can give an accurate account of something that occurred. And your, your testimony is such a strong testimony and such a powerful testimony that it would be accepted in a court of law. You are, you are there to be able to testify to what you have seen and what you have heard. So the first thing that the power is for is to be able to tell of what they've seen and what they've heard. This is what the disciples would have received, what they would have understood. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where you are, Judea, the surrounding countryside, Samaritans, the place where you don't want to go, where we, we don't want to even talk about, and then to the ends of the earth. Witnesses in all of those places. I mean, you could only be an apostle if you were an actual, literal witness of the resurrection. If you, if you witnessed the resurrection, you saw the Lord Jesus and spoke with him after his resurrection, that's how you got to be an apostle. It meant you were a witness of the resurrected Jesus. Of course, there was 11 of those, and then Paul gets added in because of his encounter with Jesus on the road. And really, spoiler alert, the book of Acts is this, is verse 8, is a story of the disciples being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the, for them, the then known world. So a part of this journey for us in terms of the church alive is getting to do this is allowing the Holy Spirit to fill you and I so that we can tell of what we've seen. So that you can boldly tell your own story. Because you have a story. I have a story. Right? It's like Oprah. We all get a story. You have a story and so do I. And that story is released by the power of the Holy Spirit in and through your life. To be a witness. What is a witness but somebody who declares what they've seen and what they've heard. Oh, but I wasn't there when Jesus was resurrected. Yeah, but he's resurrected in you. So what have you got to say about that? There's a story that you can tell about the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is in your life. You will receive power to be a witness. Enjoy this point. I'm just saying, because I know what all the points are, and I'm just telling you the next one and maybe the one after gets hard. So just enjoy this one for a minute. So tell the story. Be able to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to declare what you've seen and what you've heard. I think this is one of the most powerful things about being a believer, about being a disciple, is that you have a story to tell. It means you've got a voice. It means no matter how powerless you feel or how voiceless you sometimes feel or how shut off you feel, what it means is that God has empowered you and you can use that story, even the parts that you're ashamed of, to be a witness to his grace and his mercy. It's good news.
And of course, this is what the disciples will do. As soon as chapter 2, the next chapter in this story, we see them doing that. Secondly, the power is for. What's the power for? It's to suffer well. I told you. I told you. <laughs> like I knew this was too good to be true. It had to be coming. To suffer well is the second thing. Why do I say that? Where's that coming from? Well, I'll tell you where. That word witness is the, the base word, Greek word for that is martyrios, or mart- where we get the word martyr from. So inbuilt into the word of witness was the understanding that by witnessing to the risen Christ, you may actually give up your life for doing it. So built into the word of witness was this idea of also suffering for that witness. And so how we've arrived at the gospel that says everything's going to be peachy and everything's going to be awesome all time, every day. I don't know how we got there when built into the word witness is an idea that you may suffer for the story that you're going to tell. Don't expect it, but it may be there. It sits in the background of that witness to suffer well. And of course, we see throughout the book of Acts, this happening too. The disciples are getting dragged before the court. They're getting thrown in jail. They're getting stoned. They're getting beaten. There's a riot. They get kicked out of town. They end up shipwrecked. All of this happens because they're carrying the witness of Jesus, the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus. All of that happens because of the story, because of their witness. And so Holy Spirit power comes into your life and my life to enable us to bear under all of that really, really well. Because you can suffer well and you can suffer badly, right? Life isn't, the the, the binary on life isn't our suffering at one end and joy and comfort at the other. It's just whether you suffer well or you suffer badly. That's, the, that's, the, uh, that's, that's kind of the sliding scale. And Holy Spirit power comes that you may suffer. And praise God. And remember his faithfulness. And remember his mercy. And remember his sovereignty. And remember others. And comfort others. And love others. All in the midst. We can remember John the Baptist here. They just spoke about John baptized you with water. You'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit in a few days from now. John was both a witness and a martyr. So what does your suffering say? Can you suffer well? It doesn't have to define you. You can be victorious in it. So the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit is to tell of what you've seen is to suffer well, and then thirdly, to live a different narrative. The idea of a witness in, the, in ancient Bible times 
was that you were a herald and the herald would go from town to town telling people, we have a king. There is a new king. There is a king that has been installed that is now a king over this region. It sounds weird to us, but in in ancient Bible times, it was better to have a king than it was to have anarchy, just complete chaos. So the news of a king being installed in your region was good news. It was a good thing to be able to have a king. And what the witnesses would do, the uh, heralds would do, is they would go from place to place to place telling people the good news that there is a king on the throne. That sounds remarkably familiar to our story and to what it is that you and I have been called to do, to go from town to town, letting people know that we have a king, that he sits on the throne and that it is happening now. Not at some point in the future, but now it is happening and there is a responsibility that we have to carry that good news into the world. And that good news completely shapes our narrative, completely shapes our life. I want you to notice the difference here in verse 7 and 8 between authority and power. It is not for you to know the times and dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. So there is a difference between authority and power. God has overall authority. He is the one who is on the throne. And because he is on the throne, he gives us his power to testify to that authority. So we live into a different different narrative. The reign of Jesus is reality and the resurrection of Jesus is the hope of the world. Absolutely. All right, let's bring this to a close. So what's the power for? Well, you know what the power does? It, it, it turns the light on. Right? It turns the lights on. You know, I've been called to be a light of the world. And you know, you can still be a light, like a light globe, even if you don't have power to it. You still exist as a light. You just might not be a very functional one. But the power exists to switch the lights on. And so the Holy Spirit in you and in me exists to animate us, to switch us on, to get us alive to kingdom possibilities, to get us alive to kingdom stories, to bring us awake and alive to the witness that we have, to tell of what we've seen and heard, to bring us alive to the fact that, yes, there is suffering as an element, but there is a way of being able to do that and suffer very, very well and to live inside of a different reality. So... Just because you've been switched off doesn't mean you've stopped being a light. But I think it's time to restore power to the place and get the lights back on. A couple of things as we close. Number one, we need to own our own stuff. What area of my life right now do I need to take responsibility rather than hoping that God will magically take it away or fix it? How might God's power be empowering me to participate in my own restoration? Because sometimes, if we're honest, we can think that Holy Spirit power is the magic pill 
that all of a sudden makes all of our troubles go away. The, the magical get out of jail free card. I can hear it already, but, they, but the Holy Spirit did let them get out of jail free. Yeah, twice or three times in the book of Acts, but it ends with Paul in house arrest. The entire book ends like that. So we have, to, um, we have to kind of level with the fact that there are some things that you and I can do in participation with the Holy Spirit to help take responsibility for what's going on in our own life. And it's not quick fits. It's not magic. Holy Spirit is turning you into a temple. And he's cleaning each one of us bit by bit, room by room. And we can allow him to do that or we can stand in his way. Secondly, remember that your witness doesn't go away just because you're having a bad day. Remember there are those days where you just want to just peel the fish sticker off your car, right? I just wish I didn't have that on there so that I could really, you know, just act out, just really tell them what I think. But our witness doesn't go away. The best thing about that is that it doesn't go away. You're a witness on your good days and your bad days. So what rhythms might we be able to develop to help us remember faithfulness, kindness and authority of Jesus, especially when things aren't going our way? It's Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit power at work in you to be a witness to your region, to your suburb, to your neighbourhood, maybe even your street. And then thirdly, And finally, I find that for my life, my power is indicative of my posture. So if I'm not, you know, if I'm proud, if I'm envious, if I'm jealous, if I'm all big and kind of high and mighty in my own spirit, Power's not there. Power's there when I'm on my knees. Power's there when I'm open my heart. Power's there when I'm not clinging on to stuff, but I'm letting it go. So when was the last time you experienced God's power at a deep heart level beyond a cognitive recognition? So easy to go, yeah, yeah, I know it. I know it. I know this. I've done this one. I've listened to this one before. We did this last year. Yeah, cool. But when was the last time that you're on your knees before God and you sensed his indwelling, empowering presence in you, on you, with you, through you? And what posture, both physically and spiritually, would you need to position yourself to be in in order to be in that place. So what's the power for? The power is to turn the lights on that we might be a witness. And so I'd love us right now, wherever it is that we are and wherever it is that you find yourself today, you're here or online, 
um, or even on the podcast of this that will come out later to position ourselves to receive power through the Holy Spirit in order to enable us to be witnesses. Let's stand together. Jesus, we thank you for your presence with us right now. Lord Jesus, your death and resurrection is the hinge on which all eternity turns. And your death and resurrection has meant that today we stand in an experience of you, Jesus, continuing to do and to teach, to do and to teach by your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we ask today as we posture ourselves, would you fill us afresh today as you did in the book of Acts? Time and time and time again, you encouraged and empowered your church as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They told their story. They were witnesses. And so Holy Spirit, today I pray, would you turn the lights back on? Turn the lights back on. that we would be empowered, God, to tell of what we've seen and heard, that we would be empowered to move through our challenging situations and to live into a different story, a story where you were the King. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. an immense sense of his comfort right now.
It's an empowering to tell your story this week. Opportunities that will come. Not for you to be forceful and preach, but to simply tell of what you've seen and heard. It's an empowering in this moment that might not take all of the difficulties away, but give you new strength in the midst of them. And a reminder today, an overwhelming, overarching reminder that Jesus is on the throne. Thanks for joining us on this Discovery Church podcast. Now go and find yourself in the bigger story.